Christmas is not over. <laughs> Our Christmas series is not over either. Our text this morning is found in Luke chapter 1. In our message this morning, I'll explain exactly why we can say Christmas is not over. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be reading from. Let's start at verse 5, and we'll go through to verse 30, uh, 33. Luke 1, verses 5 through 33. Let's all stand in in respect to the reading of God's holy word. If you don't have your own Bible, our ushers have one that you can use for our service this morning. Just raise your hand and bring one right to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 33. If you're there in your Bible with me, just say amen. The word of God says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. May God encourage and challenge our hearts through the preaching of his word this morning. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Thank you, Father, that we can celebrate Christmas, understanding who Jesus is and why you sent him. Open our eyes to fully and more better understand how your purpose fits for us and in our lives and how we ought to be thankful that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves and we should rejoice that you have called us to be a part of your kingdom. Bless this service now and your word as it goes out, our fellowship throughout this time and even our time off this week, that we would reflect, meditate, and think upon your many blessings, and we will pattern, direct our lives according to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Our choir comes to us with special music. Good job, choir. Choir's purpose is to remind us of God's truth in a way that will stick in our hearts and cause us to rejoice and reflect on his word. So praise God, they have done their job. I can sing of your love forever is what the song says, and that is true. That reflects the, the, the joy of our heart because Christmas is not over. Christmas is a celebration of Christ, and Christmas is just a reminder that he came here once, he accomplished his task, he is sure to come again to finish what he has started. So today I'd like to reflect on this thought is we have the opportunity to be a part of something big. That's our message for today, being a part of something big. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33. I'm going to have you turn there and follow along with me. I have several passages that I want you to turn to. So Luke 1 is, is our foundation this morning. Luke 1, verse 31 through 33. Let me read that again. It says... 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The context. The angel Gabriel is speaking here, and he is speaking to Mary. Think, keep that in mind. Behold, you, Mary, will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So Gabriel speaking to Mary about Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's that last verse that I really want to focus, and it's the reason why we say Christmas is not over. He says, Gabriel says to Mary about Jesus, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, you might ask the question, how does Jesus reign over the house of Jacob forever? It says something that in some way, the house of Jacob is going to stand forever. Now, he's not talking about the nation Israel there. He's talking about what the nation of Israel represents. It represents the people of God. And Jesus is going to be one, the, the one who will lead and reign. Reign means that he has a kingdom and he's a king and he's in charge. He will be in charge of this particular kingdom. How long? Forever. And he will be the leader of it forever. It says he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I love that word kingdom, as we said, that there has to be a king, and there has to be a group of people who are the subjects of that king, and respect and honor that king. That group of people is those who have come to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that king is Jesus. I said we have an opportunity to be a part of something big. The first one in this passage that I see who's being a part of something big is actually Gabriel. Gabriel. Gabriel was a part of something big. He is an angel. The word angel means messenger. He is a messenger of the Lord. That's an interesting thought. That's what the word angel means. It literally means messenger. And he's a messenger of the Lord. Look with me at a couple of passages. Here in Luke chapter 1 and verse 19, we're introduced to this one Gabriel as he's speaking to Zechariah. And he tells him what God has sent him. And, and Zechariah is a little reluctant to, to believe this. Verse 18, it says, Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, we certainly understand that uh, Gabriel was telling Zechariah some, some things that were just amazing. He says, hey, old man, you and your old wife are going to have a brand new baby that's going to be yours. Now, that's just fantastic. 
And Zechariah is like, whoa, whoa. I mean, as much as I love to, to know that that's true, how in the world is that going to come about? In fact, Gabriel starts off by saying to, to, to Zechariah, your prayers are answered. Isn't that amazing? Your prayers are answered. He knew what Zechariah was praying for, and he had been sent by God to tell him that it's going to be, it's, it's, it's answered. It's going it's to come true. Now look at this. When, Zachar- when, when, when Gabriel responds to, to Zechariah's skepticism, what he says, verse 19, the angel said to him, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Now, first of all, not many angels are named by name in the Bible. Now, we know they have a name, but this one is given a particular name. And it's given that name so we might know uh, something um, about him and what he's done. That name connects us to his activities in the Old Testament. We're going to get to that in just a moment. What he says to Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God. When you say that this angel is a messenger, you begin to realize the gist of his life and of his duties, his responsibilities, and what he's about. The key about a messenger, what's important about a messenger is his message. His message. The focus of the messenger is not on himself, but it's on his message. What it is he has to say. And so what he says is, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. He says, I was sent to speak to you. He's a messenger. In other words, he's not speaking his own message. He's been given the responsibility to deliver something that has been given to him. He's delivering it. He's delivering a very important message. I remember when my kids were home and they were younger, and oftentimes I would tell one child to tell the other child to come here. Parents have done that. And you say, go tell so-and-so to come here. And what would they do? (laughs) They'd march in the room with full authority and says, you better go to this. You better go do this. And so I would correct them, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not your authority that you speak with. And so I would correct myself and say, go tell him I said come here. See, that's different. Because when you get the first action, you better do this. You better clean the kitchen. What do they say? You don't tell me what to do. Right? But when they say, mama said, <laughs> when they say, daddy said, it carries the proper weight. Daddy told me to tell you to come here right now. That's different. Gabriel says, I was sent to deliver you a message. I didn't make up the message myself. 
I'm delivering to you that which was given to me. I've been given the awesome responsibility of delivering a message. And so we we get the gist of, of what a messenger is. He's not about himself. The focus isn't on who he is. In fact, he doesn't even carry his own authority. That's amazing when you think about the authority of angels. Every time they appeared, people were in awe because these are great tremendous beings. Let me say this. If they're that tremendous and we realize it's not significant what the, what the caliber of the messenger is, that brings even more emphasis on his message. He, each time they come, they say, don't fear. In other words, don't marvel at me and my appearance, however great it is. Marvel at the message that I bring and know I bring this message with full authority of my creator, not me. He created me to be this great and to be this grand. Imagine what it is he has to say to you. That's what the messenger is is saying. We, like Gabriel, have the opportunity, have been made a part of something that is bigger than us. Gabriel was one to give a message. You can understand more about Gabriel if you look and turn with me to Daniel chapter 8, verse 16. So you want to keep a marker in Luke 1. We'll come back there, I'm sure. But Daniel chapter 8, verse 16 says this. Well, we get the sense here that this Gabriel was sent to give a message also to Daniel. Where are we, Daniel 8, 16? And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So we don't know whose voice Daniel heard, but he heard someone petition to Gabriel to speak to him. Gabriel was sent from God to speak to Daniel. So we see Gabriel again in the Old Testament. Now that that tells you something. One one thing it tells you that he's been around a long time, don't it? (laughs) He's been around longer than any man has been around living. In in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, get another glimpse of Gabriel. This is Daniel speaking in verse 20. He says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, several things we learn about Gabriel here. Uh, he's connected with, with Daniel and, and giving Daniel a special message from God. Daniel calls him the man Gabriel. Now, we know that he is not a human being like we would think of human beings uh, because we see in Luke the same individual is clearly represented as an angel. 
And that may be for several reasons he's called a man. It's one that that's the only way Daniel can relate to him. It also may be um, that he had the appearance of a man. We see that often in, in Scripture. And when Abraham encountered angels, they came to him, they spoke to him, they appeared to him like a man. All through Scripture, we see these beings that have some resemblance or appearance like a, a, a man. So that may be why he's referred to that way. But clearly, he is a great being. And he is an angel. But the point here is that he was again sent by God to Daniel to deliver him a message uh, from God. Gabriel himself is a part of something bigger than he. And he's a, as a messenger, the focus is not on the messenger, but the focus is on the message that he brings. You and I, like Gabriel, have a part to be, have an opportunity to be a part of something that is big. I like the attitude that we ought to reflect in someone like Gabriel. As great as he is, when we look on him, we realize that his self-awareness and how he sees his own importance is he sees himself as a messenger. He sees himself to deliver the message faithfully, and he's more involved, he's more concerned with being a part of something big than standing out in his own self. I don't know how many of you are Green Bay Packer fans. I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, and so I'll bring an illustration from the Packers today. There's a player on the Packers. His name is Darius Smith. They call him Z. He's a linebacker. Uh, for the Packers, number 55, if you ever watch the Packers. Um, and um, he's an exceptional player. He's probably the best player on defense uh, for the Packers. If you watched the last game, you could see why. Uh, he just changed the game all by himself. Um, but he had a quote that I'm going to give uh, the week before the Minnesota game. And uh, he, was, he was asked about the Pro Bowl uh, selections, you know, the Pro Bowl is, is, is selected. It's made up of the best players uh, around the league, and that's a special honor of significance to players to be selected to, 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 that, uh, to that game and to that, to that team. Um, and he was not selected as a Pro Bowl uh, player on that team, and he was asked about that. And this is what he said. He said, uh, Coach Patton says something about it. He thought I should have went to the Pro Bowl. I was like, Coach, I'm not even worried about the Pro Bowl. I'm trying to get to the Super Bowl. The reporters that asked him felt that he had been snubbed from that selection. But I like his attitude. He said, you know what? I have an opportunity to be a part of something big. He said, it's not about me and accolades in my favor. It's about the team and the team that I'm a part of and what we can accomplish together. That's a beautiful attitude that shows what I would think is the attitude of Gabriel. He doesn't come to shine and bring attention to himself, but he comes to bring God's message and realizing he has a part, he is a part of something big. He says to Zechariah, I came to bring to you the good news. In Luke 
chapter 1, verse 26, we see Gabriel again, this time in the life of Mary. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. Now, that's a special honor to have your name listed in Scripture. Since in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, it's also a special honor of the task that he's been chosen for. Notice that task. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is the angel that was selected by God to be sent to, to, to this individual for this very important message. And so he speaks this message to Mary. The part of the message that we focus on today is that last verse, verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel speaks about an everlasting kingdom. Since you've turned to Daniel already, let's turn back there to Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel had a, a vision, and he was given a message through this vision. And we're just going to see part of that message that he got. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. It says there, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Message to Daniel <laughs> is that you've been given a vision of something great that God has in store. And he tells you about his kingdom. And the, the key that we, we take from this verse is that his kingdom will destroy all other kingdoms and it will stand, how long? Forever. Forever. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. That's easy to turn to. Let me read there. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was present before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Again, the message to Daniel is there's something great that God is doing, and this kingdom that he's building is like no other kingdom that you have ever seen on earth, and this kingdom will last forever. Same chapter, verse 17. 
These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. Now, we, we, we see these visions in Daniel, and, and we get, you know, uh, kind of perplexing and confused about all that's going on. But you need to understand the message. And that's what I like about the Word of God. It simply t- it tells you some things that we just can't understand and we just can't contain in our minds or, 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 or work out. But it, it tells us why it's showing us what it is. And he says, I showed you some things about kings that are going to live and something about their kingdom. But let me tell you something. He says there in verse uh, 14, excuse me, verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. (laughs) As if one forever wasn't enough, he adds to that another forever and another ever. Just so we get the message that what he's doing is something that is eternal, and who's going to possess it is the saints of the Most High. We have an opportunity to be a part of something big, something grand. This is God's scale, this is God's plan, this is what he's working out. And he says, I'm bringing you to be a part of this. Verse 27 of Daniel 7 as well. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. He makes it plain. What God has in store. If you ever read the book of Daniel, you realize one thing is that God has given Daniel a perspective, a glimpse, a dream of what he's doing in all of eternity. And he says, I'm setting up an eternal kingdom. That's what I'm doing, Daniel. You've seen some of the great kingdoms of the world. You got to understand Daniel's, Daniel's history. You, you, you know it, right? Daniel was a part of Israel, but he was a part of Israel when they were down. They had been squashed. Nebuchadnezzar had came, come into Israel and taken it all. He, he had taken all the good. That's what Daniel was, what was representing the best of the youth of Israel. And he was taken out of his land into the, 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 the land uh, 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 where Nebuchadnezzar was king, into the land of Babylon. And so uh, Israel was in its worst part of its history. And yet God was showing Daniel what he was going to do. It wasn't so much about Israel. It was about God. It was about his kingdom and what he was going to do with his kingdom. But he was letting him know you have a part to be, you have a chance to be a part of something big. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm not going to even apologize for having to turn to all these verses. It's a privilege. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 7. context here is David has served as a king. He has served for a long time. And now he had ideas of building a temple for God. And um, 
So he's thinking about doing this. And God kind of rebukes him. He says, all this time I've been dwelling in tents. That's what the tabernacle was. It's a tent. He says, what made you think I was poor that I needed a house? If I needed one, I could have built it a long time ago. But I never asked anybody to do that. So verse 80 says this, Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, this is the prophet Nathan speaking to David. Again, Nathan is kind of an example of that, being a part of something big. The focus is very rarely on Nathan. He was a great prophet, but you don't hear a lot about him. He's the one that challenged David in his sin. God sent to David, and he was faithful in rebuking David. He was skillful in doing that as well. But here again, God sends him to David at this significant time. He says, I want you to tell David a few things. Oh, David needs to be humbled a little bit. But he also needs to realize what I'm doing. Basically, he's telling to David, you, you don't really help me. I help you. <laughs> I don't need nothing from you. But I'll ask you to do, or command, or send you to do what I choose to have you to do. So don't get your own ideas of what you can do for the kingdom. I'll tell you what you do for the kingdom. Isn't that appropriate for us today? We're thinking, I'm going to be great. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do that for God. God said, hold, 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 hold just a second. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're going to do for me because I asked you, not because you had this grandiose idea of what you can do for me. You're going to serve me in the plan and in the, in the purpose that I've set for you. So in verse 8, he says this. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the house, from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. He goes on to kind of humble David and tell him where he came from and how he had lifted David up to be the king. Let's go over to verse 12. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Kind of a rebuke to David. It's saying, don't forget you're just a man. You've ruled over a great kingdom because I called you to do that. But your kingdom and your life is going to end. You're going to one day lie in your grave and your life is going to be over. But my kingdom won't be over. I'm going to raise up one of your sons. Remember we looked at Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is the son of David. He says, I'm going to raise up your son. There's something unique about this son. He's not talking about Solomon, David's son. Solomon was, was the king after David. He indeed was a great king. But he's not talking about Solomon, and this is how we know that. He says in verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. Now Solomon did build a house for God's name. But he says this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Solomon's reign ended. He reigned for 40 years, but it ended in a, in a weird way. He had two sons, and, 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 and they split the kingdom. 
One was ordained by God to actually take it. The other one just kind of usurped authority on his own. But they split the kingdom. And the kingdom had never, has never to this day been back to the grandeur that it had under David. But God says, it ain't going to be Solomon. But here's what I'm going to do. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David is going to be one of your sons. And I've chosen you in this unique position, this position of, of, of glory, actually. But it ain't because of you. And it ain't the son you might be thinking of, Solomon. It's the son that I've called to be the king forever. Again, God shows his purpose that this kingdom will never end. It's an eternal kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom. Let's go into the New Testament and talk more about this kingdom. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. If you've been reading the story of the birth of Christ, you get to Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, and you get to chapter 3, and you go, okay, now what's happening? In chapter 3, verse 2, we see this individual come, rise up. He called John the Baptist. What does he do? Verse, verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is what he preached, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says God is beginning to do what he said he would do from the start. And you need to repent and get ready for that kingdom. Well, this was not just the message of John. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus himself it says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, you know, gospel means good news. The good news of this new kingdom that's coming. That's what Jesus proclaimed. The gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and he says this, Your kingdom come. We are to pray. Each time we pray, recognizing that God has a purpose, he's completing that purpose, and we have a part of it. Your kingdom come. Should be our prayer. In Matthew chapter 13, Verse 10 and 11, we see what's called the secrets of the kingdom. That's what parables are. They are the secrets of the kingdom. Jesus explains what his kingdom is going to be like and aspects of his kingdom that need to be understood. And he does that through parables, the secrets of the kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 13, I said, verse 10 and 11. Oh, it, says, it says this. Let's read that. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. <laughs> he says, I'm telling them stuff they ain't really quite ready for, and I'm giving them in parables. I'm, I'm giving the the secrets is kind of like the veiled truth. It's truth, but they won't get it right away. 
is the truth about the kingdom. Let's take a look at some of these secrets of the kingdom. In that same chapter, Matthew 13, look at verse 24. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. So these parables are revealing the secrets of the kingdom. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in, in a field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. He says it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. He uses these things to explain the mystery of the secrets of his kingdom. And then we see the kingdom misunderstood. Turn with me to Matthew 21. The kingdom misunderstood. Matthew 21 starts with this event that we call the triumphant entry. This is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so Matthew explains to us in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He's saying Jesus did this to fulfill what the Old Testament had pro prophesied about him. And he goes on to explain, he says this, verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Now here's the confusion. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's the confusion part. He's a king, but he's coming in humble attire. He doesn't have this great entourage that you expect a king to have. And he's not riding on the horses of war, the mighty beasts that command respect. He's riding on the donkey. Confusion. See, this is the kingdom misunderstood. What part did people misunderstand? They said Jesus is coming as a king. Then why is he seem to be Beaten, put to death by wicked, cruel, evil men. That doesn't seem to accomplish God's purpose. And so because of that, the kingdom was misunderstood. Even the disciples were in despair at that time. Lord, don't, don't tell us that you're going to die and, and be put to death. We're expecting you to reign as king. How is this true? Peter was one that rebuked Jesus. Don't talk like that. Jesus right away, wait a minute, Peter, let me rebuke you. You're not speaking of the Spirit. You don't understand this kingdom and what God is doing. And so it is today, people don't understand the kingdom of God. You know, it's hard to sell Christianity. People try to sell it in ways that, hey, if you trust God, if you worship God, if you give your heart and your life to God, he'll bless you. He'll make you rich. He'll do all kind of good things for you. And, 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 and that's just not completely true. That's only part of the story. And people know that because they look at us and they say, well, wait a minute. How come? And they ask all those kind of questions. How come you still sick? 
How come your wife had cancer? How come you still broke? How come you still got this and got that? Why is this happening to you? You supposed to be part of the kingdom. So they don't understand. But they said the same thing about Jesus. If you king, how come you was a poor baby laid in a manger? People didn't have enough respect to give up their room in the end to let a pregnant woman who's soon to deliver have a baby. That don't make sense to them. But ah, God begins to open our eyes. You see, he says, your king is coming. He's humble. They didn't understand the humility of Christ and what he came to do and how he was going to accomplish and set up his kingdom. Some things in Matthew chapter 21 we're going to look at in verse 28 through 32. Matthew 21, verse 28 through 32. I'm not going to read that whole part. But the, the purpose of this parable, the secrets of the kingdom, is this. Jesus, in verse 31, about midway, he says, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And he was speaking to the religious elite. And he's saying the worst of the worst sinners is going to get to the kingdom of God before you. This is the kingdom misunderstood. He doesn't even end there. In verse 43... Another parable speaks the same thing. He gives the gist of that parable in verse 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Notice their reaction. Verse 45, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parable, parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. <laughs> they, they got the message. <laughs> He says, y'all think y'all the, the, the rock, the foundation, the people of God, the people of Israel, but I'm telling you that the worst of the worst is going to get in the kingdom before you, and God's going to take the kingdom, and he's going to take it away from you. He's going to give it to a whole group of people. And he says this way, people who are producing its fruits. We understand who that is, don't we? That's the church. That's those who've come to trust in God, who may not have any link to the nation Israel itself, but we are called Gentiles because we are outcasts. We are outsiders, but God is bringing us in, and he's causing us to bear fruit to show that we are, in fact, part of his kingdom. In Acts chapter 1, can you turn with me there? We see more of this confusion, the, the kingdom misunderstood. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has made an appearance to his disciples after his resurrection. Verse 3, it says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. And what is he speaking about? Speaking about the kingdom of God. So he's explaining to them more about this kingdom. But they still don't quite understand it. Look at verse 6. They asked him a question. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they've been confused. They said, well, Jesus, don't talk about dying because you're the king. We believe in you. He has died and he's rose again. And they said, okay, all right, we got that little thing worked out. Glad that that happened that way. I don't know why you did it that way, but you did it. Now are you ready to get things back in order? Look at their perspective. Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice his question. <laughs> I mean, notice his response, his answer. His answer is basically this. Don't worry about that. <laughs> he doesn't tell them, I'm going to do this or do that or do this. Because they have, this, they have this mindset that the nation is the center of this kingdom, and, and that's just not the case. God's people are the center of this kingdom, and Israel was to be a representative of that. But the true people of God are God's people whom he has brought into the kingdom himself through their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. But I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. So they still have this, this confusion about the kingdom and how it centers around. There's an aspect about the kingdom that we talk about. And we use this term, already but not yet. You ever heard that before? Already but not yet. And that's used to refer to this, that the kingdom of God has been ushered in and it's already among us, and yet it's not yet fully fulfilled. And that's the, that's, that's the age that we live in right now. The kingdom has already appeared. Christ has come. He has died. He has conquered sin, and yet it's not fully realized yet. That's why we walk humbly, speaking this message, that people look at us and say, well, I ain't buying all that yet. Because they don't understand and they don't realize that God is going to do all that he said he is going to do. Going back to Luke 1.33, he says, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And we look out and we say, well, that ain't what's really happening now, is it? I look out and I say, sweet communion, God, you've called us to be a faithful messenger of your message, and yet we struggle. We struggle to fill this church. We struggle financially. We struggle even in our faith to, 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 to be faithful to God. Why are we struggling? Why, why do we see businesses that have an idea and, and boy, they just, they just take over the world? Why can't we do that? God says, I'm building my kingdom. It's already in place, but it's not yet fully fulfilled. It has that aspect to it. Look at with me in 1 John. I'm, see, I'm bringing this all back around to our study in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Just a couple of verses there. And uh, we'll look at... This in a verse or two in Revelation, and we'll wrap things up. First John chapter 3. Already, but not yet. Verse 2. First John 3, verse 2. You with me? Some of you are. You getting with me? 
All right, working on it. 1 John 3, verse 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. That's the already part, right? And what we will be has not yet appeared. That's the not yet. Preaching at Sister Beverly's funeral and saying there's a bunch of confusion about the already and the not yet. But he said, I thought when a believer died, they'd go to heaven. But here we have the body that's still with us. What's happening? It's the already but not yet. The Bible does explain to us that, yes, she is already with the Lord, and yet her body it remains and its future going to be changed. And in fact, he says that here. Verse 2. <clears throat> Beloved, we are God's children now. You are fully part of God's family and in his kingdom if you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what we will be has not yet appeared. So we're not all that we're going to be yet. But he reassures us. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When he appears, is looking to the coming of the king. There are two appearances of Jesus. The first appearance is in that lowly manger in Bethlehem as a baby where he came to begin his kingdom but he had to do something to establish that kingdom. He had to die on the cross for our sin. It's explained in the same passage, if you follow along with me. It says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's the not yet part of it. Skip down to verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He appeared. He came as a baby in a manger with a purpose of taking away sins. The king had to accomplish this on his way to the throne. What did he do? He appeared, it says, his purpose was to take away sins. For time's sake, I'm going to skip down to verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And here's the point. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Let me just give an interpretive help. Let's change works to kingdom. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the kingdom. All that Satan stands for and all that he's trying to build to destroy the kingdom, to destroy the works of the devil. How did he do that? He did that on the cross. That's been a confusion about the kingdom. Why did, he have to, why did the king have to die? You ever watch movies? And, you know, I, I like movies that are just straightforward. I'm sorry. I like my hero to be a hero. I don't like him being beat up and almost put to death by, by these rogues, by these thugs. You know, I'm like, man, don't, don't take that. But, you know, they have a point. Those storylines have a point because there's no greater story than the greatest story ever told. That's the story of the gospel of the kingdom. The king came and he, he was put to death by wicked men. You can, can you struggle? 
Can you struggle to see Jesus being slapped, being spit upon, being beaten, being laid upon a cross? Can you struggle to see that? That's my Savior. That's my Lord. It's not supposed to be like that, but yes, it is. Because there's a purpose in his death. He didn't die because he was weak. He didn't die because he was, didn't have a power to overcome his, 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 his uh, uh, attackers. He laid down his life because we were weak, because we had no power to overcome our attacker. He did for us what we could not do for him for ourselves. He is establishing his kingdom by dying for his people, by freeing them from their attacker so that they could be freely part of his kingdom without any other master over them. So it says he came to take away sin. So he says in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He is establishing his kingdom. There's an already aspect and there's a not yet aspect. If you read in verse 8, you'll see that we have now been given the power to overcome sin, and yet we struggle with that, right? We have it now, but we, we up and down, we up and down. But God wants us to, to walk with him so that we, by faith, we, we, we know that Jesus has accomplished and what he has for us looking forward. And so we can, we can walk daily in that and overcome daily the struggles that we face against sin and its temptation. In fact, that's an aspect. He says that's a part of every believer. He says you may struggle, but you will not give in to and be overtaken by sin because Jesus gives you that purpose. His purpose is to defeat Satan. He's given that power to you to walk in his ways. We still celebrate Christmas every day. There's a hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ that his kingdom will be established. I want to leave with you in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven. You know something about the seventh angel. They, they were delivering these messages, and each one was just pounding this message through this vision that we could see that God was setting up his kingdom. In fact, he tells us what these messages are about. Look at this, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the whole message, the whole visual message of Revelation. This is how God is doing it. He says, I'm overtaking these kingdoms that reign now. I'm defeating them. I'm destroying them. And I'm setting up my kingdom. And I'm assuring you, my kingdom will reign 
forever and ever. Let me tell you, if you know that, if you understand that, if you tune into that, it gives you a motivation and a strength that what you do in living for Christ is not in vain. It also gives you this, this understanding that how we celebrate Christmas is totally different than the vain way that the world gives and takes gifts with no thought of the kingdom that God is establishing by giving his gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to us. We understand there's an eternal message about Christmas that we are tied to, that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part. God has called us into the kingdom that will, that will stand forever. It's a glorious kingdom, so glory that, glorious that I can't even begin to explain I just say look amongst yourselves and, and look at all the things that we do because of sin and its impact in our lives. We lock our doors. We roll up our windows. We secure our valuables. We watch news of nonsense that goes on all over. We spend so much money as a society in, 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 in that, that just simply reacts to sin and the effects of sin. Can I explain something to that? that's a little weird? You know, I paint my house because of sin. Did you know that? that the wood decays and doesn't hold the paint because of sin. Romans 8 says, hey, when, when, when God is, is restoring his creation, so that part of it won't be a part anymore. You go shopping because of sin, did you know that? You need new shoes because of sin, did you know that? Not just because you want another color, but because they wear out. Mm-hmm. Things wear out, get old. I could go on and on and on. Our whole lifestyle is because we live in a sin-cursed world. And when Christ's kingdom, kingdom comes, it's going to be so different than what we have seen and what we have become accustomed to. But we need to know his kingdom is coming and that he will reign forever and ever. I'll just ask you the question, are you a part of his kingdom? Are you a part of something big? You need to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. You need to realize this life is not just all centered around you. But God is calling you into his kingdom so you'll be a part of something that's eternal. That your life will have value. Because God has given its value in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life needs to be centered on Jesus Christ. Now, if you've trusted Christ and you are struggling with centering him, living for him and living because of him and having him be in your focus, ask God to help you in that struggle to realize that you are part of his kingdom that is eternal. You're part of something that's bigger than anything. So it's not about seeking your glory, seeking to establish you, Seeking to, 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 to put out, you know, your resume, 
your, your goodness, to have yourself, your, your fame to be established. It's about what God is doing. That's far glorious than anything that would be dependent on you or me. His kingdom, of his kingdom, it will never end. His kingdom will be forever. We celebrate, if you trust in Christ, you celebrate Christmas for eternity. Father, we thank you for your plan that's accomplishing your son. Open our eyes to this. Set our hearts to glory in it, to be motivated by it, to be um, just totally fascinated by it so that we are encouraged by what we know you to be doing and working out in spite of the sin impact in the kingdom of Satan that we see right now. Help us to realize this already but not yet aspect that it might encourage us. You've already begun this transformation that you've started in us. You've already begun the victory over sin in us and yet it's not completed yet. So we need to continue in the struggle. We need to continue in our walk with you. We need to continue in faith in you. We need to continue to understand that we are not defeated. Death does not defeat us. But that you have a purpose and a plan as part of your kingdom. Help us to glory, to find encouragement and motivation in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.